I'm not carrying those that long. Yeah, we're doing it again. <laughs> doing it again. Doing it again. Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. We are here and we are doing it once again on Mark's Madness, where we read books. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we are going to take you through some delightful segments of Black Reconstruction this week. But before we do, we always like to start off with some uh, some current events, some, some, hey, what else is going on in the world? And I don't know. Nothing seemed to have happened today of note. Me and David both look at each other sideways. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're recording this on August 26th, Thursday, August 26th. Uh, as of this morning, there was a large uh, explosion attack uh, at the Kabul airport. Uh, and we discussed last week the pullout from Afghanistan and the ramifications of that. Um, today, we saw the the explosion that and uh, so what are we now up to? The, there were. Something like seventy civilians, I think. Was yeah, the last it was over. Thing I saw over sixty was the count I saw. So, so about seventy sounds about right. Civilians died, um, and then twelve U.S. troops. And twelve or yeah, twelve somewhere between twelve and twenty is what I'm seeing for U.S. troop casualty or something like that. Right, and so just like the the people tragically clinging onto landing gear um, that we discussed last week was really emblematic of how much the U.S. cares and their their posturing. The media response to this really once again shows how much the U.S. cares. Because if you want to know that over 60 uh, Afghan civilians died, you're, you're not going to get that from an American news source Mm-mm. at all. You're going to find out that 12 soldiers died, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Everywhere, uniformly, across the board. This feels like, and and correct me if I'm wrong, and I think I've seen this take somewhere else this mo- this morning or this afternoon as well. Um, this feels very much like Benghazi to Electric Boogaloo. It it really does. It's um it it makes me my my immediate reaction when I saw it was like, oh, that was the hasty pullout. It was. I mean, because there was always these rumors like it was trying to fuck something up. It was trying to fuck something up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got the twentieth anniversary of september 11th coming up in a couple weeks and when people start looking at the afghan war after 20 years they're gonna ask questions like i don't know why the fuck are we still there (laughs) and so if you have this failed pullout and then you have to go back in because you get to pull out this grotesque orientalist it's the only language these people understand and they need us to spread democracy. All of a sudden that can silence those. Why are we there questions? And the obvious question that comes after that is, wait, if we didn't do anything in 20 years, what is staying there going to do? Mm-hmm. Get silenced with gasping, breathless media coverage, of uh, just repeating state department talking points. And you could see media folks saying just grotesque things, right? Like forever U S soldier there, we have to destroy an entire town and somehow, and, and given that, I mean, that's the more far right of the media, but somehow that's even allowed in the parameters of, of, you know, polite discussion, right? Which yeah. is so far beyond fucked up. I, I, I can't even describe it. And, and it's the, it, 
Joe Biden going on TV, we will not forgive, we will not forget, we will hunt you down and we will make you pay. Is that not the exact verbiage that George W. Bush? I'm pretty damn sure that is. I wonder if that was even on purpose, which to underscore the fact that this shit is bipartisan Mm -hmm. because these parties are the same. And, you know, where there is any feigning difference, right, that gets minimized more and more. And I mean, that is important. Everything about politics is life and death for thousands or millions of people. But it's minor compared to what makes them the same. It's a blip yeah. on 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 the enormous, you know, in the enormous ocean of the things that make them the same. And anything that is bipartisan is always the worst thing possible, right? Yep. Yeah, it, and that's it's it's again, it is. It, it just it just again it underscores that this is a a a very a very bipartisan issue. The, yeah. the the concept of continuing eternal war and and this this imperialism is is a bipartisan issue, uh, and and isn't going to slow down anytime soon unless unless there is a drastic change, um, to to what we are dealing with in in politics in America. Absolutely, and something we clarified last week is obviously I mean you know we don't care about the the Taliban they're they're a group that formed out of the the Mujahideen, um that the U.S. you know basically empowered and, and weaponized and that also provided al-Qaeda and, and all these other groups. Um, but that doesn't mean like the Taliban and ISIS are synonymous. In fact, the Taliban, along with a lot of other groups, did fight ISIS. And this is atta- an attack being claimed by ISIS. So attacking the Taliban for it just makes no fucking sense just like it didn't make any fucking sense when it was attacked the taliban because they're willing to hand over osama bin laden it's the same bullshit it's it's the same bullshit over and over and over and over it's just excuses for imperial plunder every single time yeah so i mean you know immediately when when um the u.s pulled out there was you know it was oh my god what's what's gonna happen this is this is such bad foreign policy think about the minerals in afghanistan what's gonna happen oh my god (laughs) and we shot right back in there real fucking fast didn't we uh yeah we didn't slow down that's for sure yeah so i mean anytime the u.s the u.s remember has been pulling out of afghanistan supposedly for what like 15 years now right give or take And, and never does so this was the first time it was like okay they finally pulled out this is good well, so much for that. Um, yeah, so much for that. Yeah, which is which is horrendous. Um, other current events. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Hawaii. Okay. I would love to talk about Hawaii. Yeah. So let's talk about Hawaii. Hawaii, of course, being one of the largest indigenous populations in the United States. Obviously, you know, you have Hawaiians, you have Navajo, you have Lakota. Um, but but so many indigenous populations that that don't even have any control of their lands, and we know very recently within the last century, right? Hawaii was brutally colonized in the the name of Dole Fruits, um, and it's become a huge tourist destination, right? I mean, we know about like Mark Zuckerberg has uh, a mansion that encroaches on treated indigenous land, and he doesn't care. He goes out there to fucking moto surf or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, 
the state has seen a huge influx of tourism ever since everybody just decided COVID was over, especially rich people, you know, the kind of people with the money to go fly to Hawaii. And it's gotten so bad that like in July in Maui, the local residents were having their water limited to just what's absolutely important so that they could water lawns on, on, um, golf courses, courses and and things like that for tourists right cuz tourism just reigns supreme the tour, tourism capitalists just essentially own the island now right i mean we talked about this before where the biggest imprisoned group and the biggest group you know killed by police out there is is black people but it's the difference between that and indigenous people is it's basically the same right the rates are basically the same and one of the big places out there for for indigenous imprisonment is of course hawaii Right. I mean, it's it's again, it's a horrible fruit production and tourism factory that is just absolutely encroaching on indigenous land and still very much in, you know, a live process. I mean, everything's in a live process of active colonization, but more of the aggressive stage still. Okay, more of the 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 unsettled stage, the expansionist stage, I want to say it still should be understood like that. Right. Because we're within a century of that form of colonization. So now Hawaii had never really had a big COVID spike, right? I mean, not that there wasn't COVID there, but it hadn't just exploded like it had in a lot of other states. And Delta variant spiking up and people just decided COVID's over when it's not. And all of these tourists that are, I don't know, getting water shut off, you know, something you need to wash yourself and wash your hands and keep things sanitary uh, for their tourism are bringing COVID to the island. And Hawaii is being hit extremely hard for it. Um, and of course, I mean, this is not much different than other tourist destinations, right? Cuba has had to turn to, to tourism, um, for its economy because of the U S blockade and had to cut back on that because of COVID. Uh, but even the tourism it allowed is the only reason why Cuba's dealing with any COVID. They had basically handled it the first time. Uh, you have tourism going on in, in Mexico, you know, that has caused huge COVID spikes. Uh, so this is, this is nothing different than, than, the ordinary for very, very rich, arrogant people. And these kind of tourist vacations are, it's again, an extension of colonialism. And in this case, it's not just a deadly one because of the bullying and laws. And I mean, what essentially is the, the, the root basic structure of, of gentrification, right. Um, that had happened in these places to turn them into tourism traps. Uh, but now the disease is coming with it. Yeah. Now, now you know that tourism is is breeding disaster, and uh, so you know, I mean, we need to make sure we need to to try to take action to to push people against and make it difficult for people to vacation in Hawaii in defense of the indigenous groups there. Um, other current event uh, in Vietnam. At the site where Nathan knows where this is going. <laughs> At the site where John McCain's ass was shot down, there is a monument, not to John McCain. Because but- why would there be a monument to the imperialist bullshit bomber that was trying to kill people in Vietnam? That doesn't make a whole lot of fucking sense. Right. There's, there's a monument of John McCain with his hands up, with the plane wing behind him flaming smoke coming up uh honoring the uh people who gunned down the plane 
right? And captured him. And this monument is, of course, chauvinistically misunderstood by Americans. Oh, it's a monument to John McCain to the point where I think it was 2012. John McCain actually visited himself like it was some kind of monument. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. Guys, I would. Oh, man. Yeah, they, they built a fucking monument to capturing your ass and torturing you. And then you just go and visit it like this is a salute to me. Like that's that's just the arrogance, the dumbassery, just off the charts. Well, Kamala decided to take a little trip to Vietnam. And not only did the U.S. have to posit um, giving out vaccines as... You know, again, they posit as aid, but then all of a sudden it's supposedly competitive. China had already scheduled to give uh, Vietnam two million doses of of vaccines, and the U.S. had set up a million like right before China got there. And then Kamala's trip got delayed. And then there were these news articles like China swooped in and gave them two million. You know, it's like it's not competitive. No. Okay, just calm down. The fact that China was giving more doses in the U.S., that's a problem with the U.S. not giving enough. Okay. Um. But again, you know, I mean, a little bit of, of, of embarrassing diplomatic boobery, but it goes off the charts when you're visiting this country to try to make peace. You are the country that invaded and genocided this country because you didn't feel like their ideology was good enough while their ideology is shutting down COVID in their country. And we are failing miserably more than anywhere on the planet at that. And the only thing we've done well is hoard vaccines and you're coming bringing vaccines for the sake of diplomacy uh, during a second wave of COVID outbreak that you're not taking seriously at home and you go visit a monument to a genocidal bastard that they have a monument honoring him being shot down and you pretend it's to honor him. That I, I don't, Again, I mean, you think about these diplomatic moments and the reason that makes them go down in history is their place and their time and the events that follow, right? The whole, you know, Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. cake. And even that might be a little apocryphal, but like everything, you know, Tsar Nicholas did um, with, you know, relation to Rasputin and and things with the the lead up to the, the Russian Revolution. You know, I mean, all these things, you think of these like absolute political boobery, right? You think of, of, you know, Riding open car through Sarajevo at at a tense time <laughs> to show peace, right? And I think, riding in an open car through Dallas. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a hostile place, man. It's crazy. <laughs> but I, I, you know, so this won't go down in history like those moments, um, because it, it unfortunately, I, you know, even if the U.S. Empire turned around and collapsed tomorrow, fantastic if it does. And of course, Vietnam plays a huge role in that people aren't going to point to Kamala's Vietnam visit as, as some kind of catalyst. Right. No. And so I don't think it's ever going to get appreciated like that because it's dust in the wind. It's nothing. But if you just looked objectively in total, just failure to not make an ass out of yourself politically, this has got to be up there in those moments. It just, just, I, I, I mean, this is, this is mission accomplished boat george bush level it's just yeah. going to get forgotten yeah oh yeah well no 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 the the mission accomplished thing is a very good meme don't let it get no twisted. that that's, that's getting a remembered. very good meme that's getting remembered what my point is this is just as politically stupid oh this is just going as, to get forgotten and it's gonna forget yeah no but, no but it is this. historically po- 
We need to meme this quickly, guys. We yes, need to meme this I mean, quickly. This is historic political ignorance. It's just it's going to get forgotten because it's not tied to anything else. No, understandable. Under yeah, under than other than that major. Right, that has so many other things tied to it. Meanwhile, Florida has hit the most deaths per day uh, now than they have during any other wave of COVID. But it's Mm -hmm. over. It's fine. We're fine. We're fine. It's all fine. Yeah, Florida, the state where um, they're not allowed to do mass mandates or the state is threatening to pull the funding from the schools. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a great... And where it is illegal to protest right now, but... If you're, you know, a bunch of gusanos protesting Cuba, you're you're fine to block traffic. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, what a time to be alive. That being said, it's been about 20 minutes and we are going to launch into, because we have a mandate from the people, and by a mandate from the people, I mean I set an arbitrary timeline that we must finish this book by. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we are Nathan, going. To- Nathan is now the people. I I am the people. This this has been done via Demsent. Uh, there there was discussions had between me and another person, and we decided that we're finishing this in in at least ten weeks. So it's happening. Uh, it's happening. It's going. That being said, we're going to launch into Black Reconstruction in America, page six forty six. We are in chapter fifteen, the establishing of the public school. There was some gradual change of sentiment among the better class of whites in Virginia, but still the mass of whites remained bitterly opposed to the schools, and some had become brutal. Teachers were prescribed and ill-treated. Schoolhouses burned and threats so strong that many schools could not be opened, and others, after a brief struggle, had to be closed. In Virginia, I heard a man who did not know who I was make a remark in reply to something that had been said about establishing a school at Whiteville for the teaching of colored children. He said that he hoped that the damned rascal who attempted to teach N-words would be shot. In North Carolina, instances are found where persons who taught in Negro schools were assaulted, schoolhouses burned, and threats made against the lives of those who engaged in the work. Two women's, women school teachers who were recently sent from Wilmington to Fayetteville, North Carolina, to establish a school for colored children were informed by the sheriff of the county that they would not be allowed to start their school, nor would they be allowed to land. But they might retain, remain on the steamer until her return to Wilmington, inasmuch as they were women. If they were men, they would receive such treatment as was awarded to such meddlesome characters before the war. This is, again... In the yeah, mere the, attempt to teach, these are teachers attempting to teach, and this is the reception they're getting. Absolutely. I mean, again, they, they just want to educate people, and the gall at that, they're, they're being threatened with death, killed, chased out, intimidated, having their schools burned. For nothing. For wanting to educate each other. This is not a threat to people, unless... Unless you're wearing on your face that you need power over an underclass. And that's what this is. It's the only thing that can exist. In South Carolina, General Saxon said that teachers of colored schools throughout the state gave it as their opinion that they would be unable to remain there for a day, but for the protection of United States troops. In Mississippi, bitter opposition was manifested against Negro schools. Colored men, in some instances themselves, gave the money to prepare and furnish a school and then were forbidden to use it. 
Four young men in Adams County conspired to murder the teacher of a Negro school. They maltreated him somewhat barbarously. Somewhat doing a lot of work there, I'm sure. One wonders just what somewhat barbarously would be. Thank you, Du Bois, for doing yeah. that thing again where you make me feel like a moron. <laughs> the, the rule, the rule, the eternal rule is shut the up and let the boys talk. The eternal rule is shut up and let the boys talk. In Louisiana, it was said, if military protection were withdrawn, our schools would cease. Conway of Louisiana said in 1866, the feeling there is the feeling there is unanimous that they shall not own an acre of land or have any schools. There are more hot. They are more hostile to the establishment of schools than they are to owning land. That should speak volumes. They have broken up some of our schools at the time of my departure. And since then, I have official reports from those who have charge of the schools that upon the withdrawal of military from the parishes of St. Mary and La Forche, La Forche? Yeah, La Forche. Yeah, La Forche. The freedoms, the freedmen's schoolhouses in those parishes were before night burnt or pulled down. The schools disbanded and the teachers frightened away. In many regions, this opposition was very persistent. Along the coast, it was usually tacit and suppressed. The teachers in the schools for Negroes were ignored. But in the interior of Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Maryland, it was given full and free expression. Negroes were dispossessed of their school buildings. Teachers were not allowed to enter upon their duties, and churches and schoolhouses were sometimes burnt. We we see this, I mean, carry on to even today, you know, I mean, a big battle is the, the underfunding of schools, the, the um, overcrowding of school classrooms, uh, the hyper localization of school funding uh, to drive segregation in segregated neighborhoods uh, that are, quote unquote, no longer say, you know, there's no longer segregation, but in practice, it, it very much is. And oh, yeah. this is something even, you know, kind of in between in very recent history and look at, you know, so late civil rights movement. Uh, that was one of the Black Panthers 10 demands was uh, that they had, you know, satisfactory uh, public schools and that they're allowed to properly teach their black history in those schools. Yeah. Um, a few voices cried in the wilderness that a due regard for the public wheel imperatively requires that the Negroes be educated, taught at least to read and write, steeped in ignorance they can never be made to understand the responsibilities that rest upon them as freedmen. Mm -hmm. But others admitted that the sole aim should be to educate every white child in the Commonwealth. I am in favor of providing ways and means for the education of freedmen, but not in favor of positively imposing them on any legislature, the unqualified and imperative duty of educating any but the superior race of man, the white race. Oh. Our, our pecuniary condition or pecuniary pecuniary condition does not allow us to do it. Often this objection took an even more ungracious form. I say that the levying of a tax upon us to pay for the education of a race ex we expect to be torn from us is an indignity. Why are we called upon to educate these Negroes? No, sir, I will never be so dishonest as to disgrace myself with such a vote. So, you know, you see that so often, right? It's like, oh, I don't I don't care if they educate themselves, but I don't want to be burdened with that, right? It's that's a, That's the same argument today. Oh, I don't have kids. Why should I pay to... Right. Fund a public school. What I don't understand. To quote, to quote the Joker, we live in a society, motherfuckers. <laughs> it's a thing. You just do it. You just do it. 
Uh, in the midst of these efforts of Negroes and the general opposition of whites came the Freedmen's Bureau. The Freedmen's Bureau found many schools for freedmen already in existence maintained by tax commissioners, by Negroes, and by the Army. The original Freedmen's Bureau Act made no provision for Negro education, but notwithstanding this, the funds derived from the rent of abandoned property was used for education and government buildings were turned into schoolhouses. Transportation was given to teachers and subsistence granted. By Act of 1866, the educational powers of the Bureau were greatly enlarged. Cooperation with benevolent associations, teachers, and agents were sanctioned and buildings leased. The sum of $521,000 was appropriated for school purposes and other sums provided by the sale and lease of property formerly belonging to the Confederate government. Teachers were sent from the North, and the Quakers, Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, and especially Congregationalists took part. The efforts thus began in the Army and by philanthropists, and taken up later by the Freedmen's Bureau, expanded into a system which penetrated the whole South, although naturally it touched but a fraction of the Negro population. Between 1865, June 1st, and September 1st, 1870, the Bureau spent on education a sum which represented about one half of the expenses of schools. The rest was met by the benevolent associations and the freedmen themselves. For some years after 1865, the education of the Negro was well nigh monopolized by the Freedmen's Bureau, and the missions sustained by the northern churches and organizations allied with them. Schools of all grades, from kindergarten to the college, were established in each state. The Freedmen's Bureau alone appropriated $3.5 million to schools from 1868 to 1870, while the churches and societies spent $1.5 million during the same period. Among the Northern teachers, there were many men and women of unusual sincerity of purpose, zealous as only religious enthusiasts can be. The Negro was only responsive to efforts in his behalf as far as his economic conditions would permit. It is nevertheless both interesting and astonishing to realize that during the 1866 to 1870, the freedmen contributed cash of $785,000 to their schools. So again, I mean, they were putting in any penny they can, right? Obviously, they're very poor. That The whole situation has set them up to be poor, and they're still giving in every way they can. They were clamoring for this education. Exactly. In 1866, Alvord, the superintendent of education under the Freedmen's Bureau, reported that in 11 former slave states and the District of Columbia, there were 90,000 Negro pupils and 1,300 teachers in 740 schools. From 1865 to 1866, teachers in the Negro elementary schools were almost exclusively northern whites. Gradually, Negro, Negro teachers came to be used. The annual amount of which the Bureau voted to school purposes increased from 27000 in 1865 to nearly a million in 1870 and reached a total in 1865 to 1870 of $5.2 In July 1870, there were 4,239 schools under their supervision, with 9,307 9, teachers and 247,000 pupils. Notwithstanding this, of the 1.7 million Negro children of school age in 1870, only about one-tenth were actually in school. The public schools in most southern states began with the enfranchisement of the Negro. For instance, in South Carolina, the Constitution of 1868 was as notable a departure in the educational history of the state. Not only was education mentioned for the first time in organic law, but the state for the first time was given the outline of an educational system in keeping with the advanced thought of the age. 
the General Assembly was obligated to establish a system of universal education as soon as practical. Perhaps no state illustrates the relation of the Negro and the public school system better than South Carolina, and the story of the debate in the Convention of 1868 is worth following. On Saturday, January 18, 1868, Beverly Nash, a colored member, offered a resolution on education, and A.J. Raniser, on Tuesday, January 21st, presented another resolution which read, Resolved that the Committee on Education inquire into the expediency of establishing a Board of Education consisting of three from each congressional district. Such a board shall have the power to divide the state into school districts and provide for a thorough system of common schools, elect a superintendent from among their number, and make all needful regulations for the education of youth. No distinction should be made in favor of any class of persons. The Committee on Education was named January 20th, and F.L. Cardozo, the Negro leader, was chairman. Three white men and five colored men served in the committee. Robert Smalls, of planter fame, that's always good. Good, 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 good. (laughs) Desired that a system of public schools be established and that they be opened to all classes of people, and he wanted compulsory education. B.F. Randolph wanted institutions for the insane, blind, deaf, and dumb, and poor, fostered by support of the state. So, someone from planter fame wanted public schools. Planter is in quotes, so I don't... It is planter in quotes, so I'm very confused, but we'll go on. We'll go on. The matter of compulsory attendance brought considerable discussion. Rennie... Ranzier, afterwards congressman, supported compulsory attendance, contending that the ignorance was a cause of vice and degradation. Mm-hmm. We know how that goes. Mm-hmm. And that civilization and enlightenment were the consequence of the schoolmaster. And if force was necessary to secure the benefits of education, it ought to be resorted to. By the way, Which- uh, Robert, Robert Smalls uh, was a black freedman who, during the American Civil War commandeered a confederate ship called the css planter oh that's we're we're talking about that robert smalls okay of the planter fame we're talking about that robert smalls okay planter the of of drunk history fame one or two able negroes were against the compulsory feature but two white delegates were in favor of it one of them jilson said in south carolina where there has never been any system of free public schools there is one person in every eight who cannot read and write finally it was decided that the compulsory feature should not be insisted upon until a thorough and complete system has been organized The Constitution, as ratified, provided for the establishment of universal education as soon as practical and for compulsory attendance for all children between the ages of 6 and 16. But this was not to become effective until the school system had been completely organized, which is a meaningless date because what the fuck does that mean? Mm-hmm. It provided for a normal school and a school for the deaf, dumb, and blind. And I, I want to say it's not meaningless if it's practiced by people whose intention are to to follow the spirit of that, but this is the United States. Mm-hmm. After the termination of the convention, the General Assembly enacted a law to provide for the temporary organization of the Education Department. On November 20th, 1869, one year after this, J.K. Jilson made a report on the school situation. 
incomplete because of many com- counties had not reported, there were at this at that date 16,418 children in school, of whom 8,255 were white and 8,165 were colored. That is split right down the middle. Right down the middle. 50-50, baby. There were 381 schools with 528 teachers. Among the teachers, 50 were colored. The temporary act proved inadequate, and Governor Scott urged in November 1869 an efficient and comprehensive law. This led to the act of February 16, 1870, to establish and maintain a system of free schools for the state of South Carolina. An examination of its provisions reveals that it is no gross exaggeration to state that it was the most comprehensive and most beneficial legislation the state of South Carolina has ever enacted. Textbooks were to be provided at cost or free to the poor. Man, can we get that back? That'd be great. June 4th, 1870, there were 30,488 children in 769 schools, and the average pay of the teachers was $35 a month. The superintendent complained of the inexperience of the school officers, want of suitable schoolhouses, scarcity of good teachers, and the apathy and opposition to this new system, and also of the inadequacy of the appropriation. Besides this, there was deep prejudice against mixed schools. The public press of the state had held that the whole educational system was up to ridicule, abused officials, and belittled their efforts, or else had remained silent. Hmm. That doesn't sound familiar at all. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what white supremacy does, right? Any time an alternative is presented, it's met with constant sabotage. And then when it so much as doesn't perform extravagantly better than the white supremacist system, uh, let alone a little bit better or equally or even worse, thanks to that sabotage, it's chogged up as performing unacceptably from its own internal failures. And let's do, let's do the thing we do sometimes, which is let's, let's pull this forward to today. Um, Great example of this. Look at the way that, that media reports on, and and citations needed does amazing work on this this particular issue. But look at the way that media, especially mass media, reports on public schools versus the way they report on things like let's say charter schools yes. or things that are explicitly pro white. Because oh, let's yeah. be real, charter schools are not a thing that that is a a a thing that doesn't benefit white supremacy at its core. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's let's also, I mean, be clear on uh, all kinds of front like that, right? Public transportation. They 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 cut all the funding and make public transportation just a, a shell of what it should be. And then it's, oh, look, there's homeless people in the, the subway. Well, why aren't we providing them homes? Oh, look, the, the subway's flooded. Well, that's because you didn't give a crap about it. Oh, look, it's nasty or gross to sit on the bus. Well, that's because you're afraid of poor people and the bus is underfunded, so it's not nicer and running more routes. Um, you know, I mean, you also saw the same thing with the, the defund the police efforts, right? Crime wasn't even going up. It was down compared to 2019. It was only up compared to 2020 because, like, no one was out because people actually – kind of half i mean we never shut down from covid but we were out less we kind of half-assed it in 2020 yeah and and so like crimes and things went down and they went back up to a little less than 2019 and most places hadn't even actually defunded there was just 
general countrywide advocation. Some places had slightly defunded, but hadn't really like reinvested in other things. And it was look at this epic failure of, of defunding the police. Crime is up, right? I mean, there's always this bad faith assessment met also with sabotage, right? Exactly. And and the sabotage is often ingrained and you see this yeah it's it's systemic i mean it again you know it can be it can be we can be talking about other countries and it could be sanctions but those are peaceful they're not military intervention they're they're sanctions it could be cutting funding for schools and 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 uh public services like we said public transportation it can come in many forms and Mm -hmm. it's it's often silent because it's systemic yep The number of colored pupils attending school in 1869 was 8,163. In 1870, there were 15,894. That almost doubled in a year. That's incredible. The number of white pupils in 1869 was 8,255. In 1870, 11,122. Definitely not double. The repeated failure on the part of the state to meet in full its appropriations for school purposes has been a, had been a fruitful source of sore perplexity to those officers and a very serious detriment to the cause. Evidently, the school system was operated in a most inefficient manner, and there was a gross misappropriation of the school funds. Where have we heard this story before? Mm-hmm. From year to year, Jilson was able to report progress. When he left office in 1876, there were 123,000 students attending 2,776 schools taught by 3,068 teachers. And the school revenue was 457,260. We may assume that the reconstruction government not had we may assume that had the reconstruction government not been overthrown in 1877, it would have given to the state an excellent school system. F.J. Moses Jr., while governor, said, No greater eulogy can be written upon the reconstructed administration of the government in the South, in South Carolina, than when it came into power, it was a statutory offense against the law of the land to impart even the rudiments of a common school education to a South Carolinan. Because, forsooth, he was black. While the reconstructed government has made it statutory offense to hinder or prevent any child in the state of whatever color from obtaining a common school education. Nay, we have even gone further and demanded by our Constitution that their attendance at school be compulsory. The Reconstruction Constitution of Georgia in 1868 provided for a thorough system of general education to be forever free to all the children of the state. The details to be worked out by the legislature. Uh, it always ends well. Yeah, but again, I mean that that that's quite quite a a uh, constitutional demand, right? And that's that's a constitutional demand that should be true in any country, um, in any state of of any country. Is that education is just free forever to all of the children? In fact, yeah. that's kind of quasi the system we have now again because of all the fights of the masses like we've talked about in this book here um and again you know later and this is showing the roots this is showing the roots of that but we also can see how bastardized and perverted absolutely i mean we we just talked about charter schools and and you know reduction of funding and and all sorts of issues along those lines all type all sorts and types of sabotage 
In August 1869, the Georgia Teachers Association, composed of white and colored teachers, met for the first time in Atlanta. The subject of public education was thoroughly discussed and a plan proposed by which the educational provisions of the Constitution could be put into operation. It was not until 1870 that the legislature took up the subject. Practically all of the Negro senators and representatives introduced bills on education. Senator Campbell, who was one of the group that had met Stanton and Sherman at Savannah, presented a bill asking for the thorough system of a public education. He also presented a very lengthy revolution describing how the money for education was to be secured. White Georgia, however, long resisted the establishment of public school system. The first public school was enacted in October 1870 and amended in 1872. Its details were the result of recommendations made by the Committee of the Georgia Teachers Association. The plan was a more elaborate than that of 1866 and had a state school commissioner and a state board of education and a special school fund was provided. There would be separate schools for white and blacks, but equal facilities. Talk about things and how did that work out? Mm -hmm. The first public schools were taught in the state during the summer of 1871. The schools were suspended in 1872 because of reaction and the alleged lack of funds. In 1871, there was $500,000 in the school funds, but the legislature had diverted it to other purposes. The schools were put in operation in 1873, and in 1874, there were 1,379 schools for whites and 356 for Negroes. Now, again, this was before, like when Georgia had different um, group dynamics of ethnicities. I forget what the word is for that. Demographics? Demographics, thank you. Bada bing, uh, I win. Da, 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 da. Uh, when Georgia had different demographics, so I don't know if the, the stark difference in the number of schools is from that or from the internal sabotage, but obviously you saw, I mean, this this was everything we deal with now has its roots here. You know, you saw the internal sabotage right there against the schools. Um. It is a coincidence that the passage of the Act of 1870 came on the 100th anniversary of a previous act passed by the Georgia legislature, making it a making it penal to teach a Negro to read and write. This was a great day for Georgia. There was over a half million Negroes in the state and less than one percent of them were able to read and write in 1870, perhaps not over 500 colored people when the public schools were opened were more or less capable of taking charge of a primary school. In 1871, 6,600 colored children were enrolled in private schools, while in 1880, after 10 years of free schools, the enrollment of colored children was 86,000. That is a huge jump. By that time, too, most of them were taught by colored teachers. Along with the public school system, there were 3,719 pupils in private schools and a few in college, making a total enrollment in 1880 of 97,000. The new state constitution of Mississippi in 1868 made it the duty of the legislature to establish a uniform system of free public schools, by taxation or otherwise, for all children between ages 5 and 21 years. Before this, the only free schools in the state were those maintained out of the proceeds arising from the sale or lease of so-called 16th section lands granted to the state by Congress in those early part of the century. But as most of these lands had not been lost by mismanagement, the number of such schools was not very large. I don't, I don't know about the 16th section lands, but it talked about early in the century. Is that, 
is that tied to the Trail of Tears in some way? Oh, I sincerely hope not, but I will I will do some Googling in the background while you keep okay. going. Um, the Reconstruction Convention was thoroughly imbued with the idea of education for all. The Constitution made it the duty of the legislature to encourage by all suitable means of the promotion of intellectual, scientific, moral, and agricultural improvement by establishing a uniform system of public schools for all children between the ages of 5 and 21 years. Constitutional provision was made for a permanent school fund and the legislature was empowered to levy a poll tax not exceeding two dollars per capita many difficulties were encountered in the early life of mississippi's new school system its progress was slow objections to negro education were early apparent the school report of 1873 says again it is objected to it is objected that a general tax compels white men of the state to educate the children of a negro but as the Negro forms a majority of the entire population of the state and in an eminent degree a majority of the producing classes, as such classes of every population, the laborer, tenant, and consumer indirectly bear the burdens of taxation. It follows that the assessment upon the property of the state would be principally paid by the Negro and therefore the ground of compliant complaint, if any, against a general tax is with the colored people and not with the white. Okay, just to confer, mm-hmm. the state of Mississippi owns over 640,000 acres of trust land known as 16th section land. Trustees manage land held in trust, and 108 Mississippi public school districts serve as trustees for 16th section land, with the Mississippi Secretary of State serving as the supervising trustee. The allocation of 16th property dates back to the Land Ordinance of 1785, which set aside section number 16 on each township for the use and benefit of public schools. So it Ah. is basically Mississippi broke themselves up into 16th section, 16 sections for the use of public schools. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Many difficulties were encountered in the early life of Mississippi's new school system, and its progress was slow. Oh, oh wait. I already read that one. During the first year of free education in Mississippi, State Superintendent Pease reported that more than 3,000 free schools have been opened with an attendance of 66,000 pupils. Of the 3,500 teachers employed, all except 399 were white. The total expenditure for public education for the year exceeded the government expenditures for all other purposes. Alabama in 1850, out of the 176,657 persons, 5 to 20 years of age, reported 62,000 pupils, mostly in private academies and pay schools, which meant that the bulk of the white poor had no schools. The establishment of public schools were without a state board, and in 1854 spent only $2.50 a year on each enrolled pupil. The public school system of Alabama was established by the state constitution of 1867 and organized in the following year. It was in continual financial difficulty owing to the bitter opposition of the whites. Irregularities and defalcations in the education department were charged. And finally, owing to the lack of funds and non-payment of taxes, as well as other conditions, the schools closed in 1873 as the result as the, yeah, as the result of the triumph of reaction. But the demand for education was now strong, and the effect of Northern opinion too great so that the Constitution made by the Democrats in 1875 kept something of the system, but abolished the Board of Education and sought as far as possible to return to the antebellum status. 
separate schools for the races were ordered and administrative expenses were reduced. No money was to be paid to, in, to any denomination school or private school. And the constitutional provision of one-fifth of the state revenue for school was abolished. The United States Commissioner of Education gave a disapproving account of these changes and said it was exchanging a certainty for an uncertainty. And there's so there's so many there's so many things about today that and, and so many conclusions you could draw from this. Like you see across the board that the liberation of black people benefits poor people in general, including poor white people. And the interests of shutting down this black liberation came from capital, right? I mean, eventually the the Northern capital uh, sided with the planters and of course the planters. And yet it animated the poor whites into action in order to uphold it. And that's, I mean, that's so much of how racism works now, right? You shoot yourself in the foot because you're taught that this underclass is taking away from you when really you're just serving the masters that didn't give this to you in the first place. And the only reason you have it is because they are fighting for themselves and you're benefiting, right? And it should draw you to solidarity and to fighting with them. It's why it's white people's duty to reach out and, 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 you know, uh, be welcoming to black liberation and black nationalism, not black people's, uh, reason to accommodate poor whites right um and and you see this in so many other factions right you see this in time and time again um you know across uh gender and sexuality you see this with just general being americans versus you know anti-imperialist causes where people will stab themselves in the foot and kill their own cause in the name of taking down an underclass because their ruling class has convinced them that like, Hey, we're buddies. We're in this together. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's, that's a big difference between reactionary nationalism versus liberating nationalism, right? The suffering people of, of an occupied and colonized nation, they do have a cause together to kick out the colonizer. You don't have a cause together with your masters, but if they convince you of that, then you take it out on all of their enemies. That being said, that will be the end of Mark's Madness for this particular week. We will be back next week, as always, as we always are, every Wednesday, without fail, without until we are done with this God forsaken book. I I love it so much, and yet I am I've never wanted to see the end of something more than I do this book. Uh we will be back with you next week on Wednesday. That being said, uh, there are a number of different ways that you can get in touch with us. The first of which is you can reach out to us on email. Our email is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. The next way you can get in touch with us is on Twitter, uh, the hell site that we're all familiar with. Uh, We're at marksmadnesspod on Twitter. We do uh, occasional retweets. We're, We're a little less active on Twitter than we used to be. Uh, David, yeah, I've, been, I've been bad about the getting the episodes up. David's been bad about getting his episodes up. I've been bad about retweeting people. Uh, the hell site is a drain on all of our mental health, and I don't endorse it for anybody. But if you're there, we're at Mark's Madness Pod. 
That being said, if you wanted to interact with us one-on-one in a more uh, personal way, you could join the Mark's Madness Pod Discord. Our Discord server is linked in our Twitter bio. Again, you got to go to the Hell site to get it. I get it. If you don't want to go to the Hell site, email me. Email, I say me, but it's me. I'll respond to you. Uh, email email me at marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. I will give you the link to the Twitter or to the Discord. Uh, and join that because that's where uh, I, I, I have every notification turned on for my phone. If you post in Discord, I know about it. Uh, I'm there all the time. David shows up when the bat signal is called. And as of today, David showed up uncalled for in Discord. <laughs> And offered advice. It was a rare moment that we all it, cherished. It was it was interesting. I, I wanted to follow up on, on an interesting question related to Orwell and the Spanish Civil War and, and, and I care about those things very deeply and and uh uh someone had, had linked Jay Sakai um and I, I just wanted to give complete context to the the excerpt they'd linked. AKA, if your question is good enough, David will engage with it. So if you're in Discord and you're you're good enough, David will deign you with his presence. Uh, but if you join Discord, it's a good time. It's a good community. It's a group of people that I, I love and cherish and would not trade for anything in the world. Uh, also, we play Final Fantasy XIV. We play it a lot. We play it constantly. And if you're not playing Final Fantasy XIV, I'm convinced you're not a real socialist. I'm just saying it. I'm saying it right now. I'm putting it out there. Um, it is I must true not social- be a real socialist out of pledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That being said, David, it is time for the disclaimer as always. Would you give it to me, please? As always, uh, when we started this podcast, of course, me and Nathan were just trying to read Capital together. And something you always want to do whenever you're reading history uh, or reading uh, philosophy is you want to read it in some kind of group and have discussions, you know, between chapters or sections or whatever to make sure you're getting the most out of it, understanding the context, understanding why it matters to you, and just making sure you generally understand it. Uh, And when me and Nathan started doing that, uh, we knew how to record podcasts. Um, Not that we podcast endlessly, but it's something he'd done before and, and I could talk into a microphone. And we thought, what the hell, we'll record it. And if it turns out, that it might be useful to someone, we'll go ahead and publish it. We'll go ahead and start a podcast and see if we can bring anyone else into our reading group. And lo and behold, we started it and we've brought you all here with us. And we're so happy to have you. Um, And from the beginning, the vision has always been hopefully whatever group, whatever party you're organizing within, hopefully their reading group, their political education is reading these same works because these are vital works. And hopefully we can be one more voice in that group. We can be one more point of knowledge, understanding, context, tying back to today, whatever, to add to that discussion. Save for that, uh, let's say your reading group or political education group is reading something shorter or more applicable to what you're doing. Um, and, you know, we're you're reading this on your own. We can be that reading group for you that kind of, again, part of the vision we started this for and allow you to have that discussion to a certain degree. I mean, obviously you can reach out to us to the sources Nathan said and uh, and listening, you can absorb the context and and things like that and and feel like part of the conversation, get more out of the works. Uh, Say for that, say it's either 
a book we're summarizing, uh, kind of like we did with Capital and several works in between, or it's a book we're reading word for word like this one, kind of an enhanced ebook type thing. Whatever it is that we can do to make these works more accessible to you, uh, because we want this theory out there animating your actions. And when you put this theory out into political actions, into organizing and efforts to help and politically educate your fellow man, your fellow proletarian, um, that is called praxis, and that's theory in action. Without theory, praxis doesn't exist because it is theory in action. And without praxis, theory is completely useless. It's just an absorbing of knowledge. They go hand in hand. They're tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.